Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of The Broken and Beautiful. I am really excited about this episode. I had the opportunity to interview my baby brother, Stan. I am the oldest of six children, and that's kind of a lot, and I love them all equally. My siblings are my best friends, but I have a special connection with my brother, Stan, and I think that you'll see why in our interview. And without further ado, here is my interview with Stanley Alvey. Okay, there we go. So I was wondering if you would start off by telling us a little bit about your journey with anxiety and depression. Yes. So I guess, I guess I could start with what kind of triggered my, I don't, you know, I don't really know for sure what triggered me to have anxiety and depression, but what I feel like it stems from is one of my our cousins sexually abused me and a couple of other boys in our neighborhood when we were kids and I think that since that happened and happened repeatedly I just developed this anxiety and depression and guilt and shame and what when I really started to notice it and notice that I had depression and noticed that I had severe anxiety was when I got into sixth grade and I had to leave home and go to middle school in Bicknell which was an hour away right and I just remember going every day and it felt like my insides were twisted in knots all day and it felt like I was suffocating all day long and I couldn't pinpoint why and I couldn't pinpoint what was going on or why I felt that way or even what the feelings were but looking back on it now I know that that was anxiety. In sixth grade that must have been really scary to feel that way. Well it it was but I was like I was lucky to have you because I remember one day you coming to school to get me. I was in sixth grade and you had graduated and you were going to college in Logan and you'd come to get me and you took me to lunch and then we went to just kind of hang out around Picknell and you just talked to me and we decided then that I would ask mom if I could do homeschool. I remember this very vividly, <laughs> but as like, I mean, like in sixth grade, I was experiencing it bad enough that I had to do homeschool because I couldn't function normally at school and I still to this day I don't really know like why it was so bad that year but I did homeschool for a little while and I think I went back it was either halfway through seventh grade or in eighth grade but I can't remember and I still had it but it wasn't as bad just a little background for the people listening. Where we live and where we grew up is an hour and a half bus ride to the middle school and high school. So starting in sixth grade, 
you have to travel for three hours on a bus to get to school. You spend all day at school and then you get home at 4 35 o'clock at night. That's a lot of hours for a 12 year old to be away from your parents. You get used to it as you get older, but it was a lot for us in middle school. I think everybody probably had an issue with it, but I mean, you out of our siblings had the hardest time with it. And that's when we all started to notice your anxiety. And I'm glad that you were able to use your voice and talk to people about it and get it figured out so that you could continue living a normal life after it kind of stabilized. Right. Yeah. And it stabilized a little bit, but I realized as I got older and as I started going through puberty, I started to be able to recognize what the feelings were. And once I had the word depression and once I had the word anxiety to label what I was feeling and what I was experiencing, it became a lot scarier in a way because I didn't know what to do with that because I had anxiety and I had depression and I knew that I could go to therapy and get help, but I didn't want to go to therapy because I had anxiety about it and I felt like I couldn't trust the therapists or I would shut down. So in a way, it was a lot harder. But as time went on, I developed my own ways of coping with it. When I was 16, after I'd come out to our family, I think that was the deepest depression and the deepest anxiety that I'd ever felt because I couldn't control myself and I couldn't control my feelings at all. It almost felt like I wasn't in my own body at that point. But once I finally got medicated, it took a couple of weeks to like three months to stabilize. But eventually I was able to continue developing those ways to cope with the depression and anxiety. And the only way that I really was able to do that was because I got medicated. Yeah. Medication is a huge help. And we've seen that with people in our family. We've kind of dealt with it. I dealt with it in my own personal ways. So I want to know if before you got medicated, was there any healthy coping mechanisms that you found on your own that were helpful to you? Yes. So I think I obviously I think it's different for everybody. But for me, I think it came down to mainly anxiety about control and what I could control and what I couldn't control. What helped me the most was to number one, ground myself whenever I started to feel extremely anxious or started to have a panic attack, I would try to grab onto something, make sure that I knew I'm still here. I'm still fine. Ground myself, count, take deep breaths, and remember that the sun is still going to come up in the morning and the world is still going to keep turning. If I woke up in the morning and I could tell that I was extremely depressed that day, or if I could tell that I was really anxious, I would force myself to get up. I do this a lot right now because right now I'm experiencing a lot of anxiety and a lot of depressive episodes. I force myself to get up in the morning, especially on the hardest days. And I force myself to make a cup of coffee and do dishes and straighten the pillows. Things that make me feel like I'm in control and I'm the master of my own life. Mm-hmm. It's begin the day that kind of shift my perspective. They shift me to feeling like I'm okay. I'm going to be fine. I'm controlling everything. Everything's going to be okay. So I think that for me, that's the two things that I do the most. That reminds me of, I don't remember if it was a book or a podcast that I listened to, 
where they talked about the importance of making your bed in the mornings. And in my life, I applied that to every time I come into my bedroom and my bed is not made, it just, it fuels that anxiety fire and it makes me feel a little bit more antsy. But when I come in my room and my bed is made, it feels orderly. And so doing those little things for yourself that bring order really helps with anxiety. And it doesn't even have to be anything grand. I don't spend 15 minutes making my bed and it just helps. Right. Well, I love like I just love pull it. your sheets up and yeah. straighten <laughs> kind of it. Acting like you got your shit together. Yeah. <laughs> but I also feel like it's hard because that's something that our mom taught us is we control our own lives and we can choose how we feel, which is true and isn't true mm-hmm. because we can't control the way that we feel, but we can control the things that we do, right. which in turn affect the way that we feel. Yeah. And I think that that's really important. And I think that a lot of people aren't taught that growing up and leaving home. I'm surrounded by a lot of people who it seems like they get depressed and they're okay with staying that way. Mm-hmm. And it seems more and more normal. The way that I see it is I'm allowed to feel the way that I feel and everybody is allowed to feel the way that they feel. Mm-hmm. But the healthy way of progressing is to feel the feelings in order to move forward. What I do is I, I allow myself to feel the feelings for a specific amount of time and then I take the action to move forward doing whatever it is that I need to do to feel better mm-hmm. so instead of staying depressed and staying anxious I'll allow myself to feel that fully and then I force and myself and it. allow myself to yeah and accept it and then move forward mm-hmm. being productive and moving towards the person and the feelings that I want to feel. Yeah, I get that 100%. And it doesn't have to be like you felt these feelings and you understood and accepted them and then you shut it off and you moved on. It's more what I understand you're saying is you're making the little decisions to not keep yourself in that hole. We talked about you're getting up and you're making your bed and you're making yourself coffee. You might not be able to choose how terrible you feel. And I think both of us can understand that from suffering really severe depressive episodes. You want to stay in bed so bad and your brain tells you that's where you need to be and you are not capable of anything else. But you are. Like you physically are. And so forcing yourself to do even something little can help you not sink lower. Right. Is that what you're kind of... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and I think that it's also difficult because that works for me, but for my husband, he has executive dysfunction and he, when he's in a depressive episode like that, his brain literally will not allow him to get out of bed and do things. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand it, but I know that it's real because I see it. Right. The way that I deal with my depression and my anxiety isn't going to work for him. So it's it's different for everybody. And I'm never going to dismiss that. I'm never going to discount his reality mm-hmm. because it's, it's real and I see it and everybody's depression, everybody's anxiety is different. So yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm sharing what works for me in hopes that somebody will resonate with it and it could help them. But at the I, same time, every person's different. 
I think that's why it's so important for people to go to therapy and get help from professionals because they can help you label it with the different names like executive dysfunction and all of the different types and ways that your brain handles the mental illnesses that you have. There's different medications, there's different therapies, there's all sorts of different things that you can get from a professional that you won't get from a podcast. This is just what's worked for us and we are not everybody. <laughs> right. So everyone should go to therapy, especially if you feel like you have anxiety or depression or PTSD, anything. I, I agree 100%. Although I've only gone to therapy, I don't know, maybe five times at two, five different therapists. So five sessions total in my entire life because I have anxiety around it. And I don't know, maybe it's the, maybe it's the mental health stigma that we're trying to get rid of. Right. I don't want to go to a therapist to have them tell me what's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want to have something wrong with me. I'm okay with saying I've got anxiety and I've got depression, but I don't want to have any more of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that I definitely need to work on because it's okay to go to therapy and to work on the things that the therapist wants you to work on. Right. It's okay to go and get the diagnosis so that you can become better. Yeah. And I think that's really cool that that's something that you're working on the mental health stigma. I think everybody in the world could be better. Going back to where you said that you have seen five different therapists, five different sessions. It's also important to accept that that is okay. You need to find a therapist that fits you because therapists are people too, and not everybody's going to vibe with each other. So if you are going through therapy and you feel like your therapist isn't a fit, it is okay to switch and find a new one, 100%, as long as you're trying to progress. So what happened after you got on your medication and you felt like things were going good, did you continue to see improvement or did you feel like you backslid at all after you got on medications? The first couple of years, it was really good and I struggled for a little while and then I kind of plateaued and I was just kind of normal. It was weird to me because what the medication did was it felt like for a little while it felt like I didn't have any emotions because the medication leveled them all out until there was an even playing field which I had never experienced before. So I went through about a year of learning how to decipher what my emotions were. And I still am because it's difficult for me to tell what's what. And when I am feeling all of these different emotions, whereas before I took it, I was feeling anger almost all of the time, or I was feeling sadness all the time. Yeah, That's kind of the only thing that happened. And then Obviously, like there was me coming home from my mission and breaking up with the girl that I was dating at the time. And then also starting dating guys. Those are the two times that really were the most difficult. And I think that that didn't have anything to do with my medication. It was just life happening Mm -hmm. and me dealing with it as a level headed person. So I haven't really experienced much. I did adjust my meds last year. At a certain point, your body continues to grow and you need to adjust your meds, but I haven't really experienced any backsliding. I was really, really fortunate to be diagnosed the same thing as our dad and our grandpa. Mm -hmm. So I already knew what medication I needed to be on. 
whereas other people don't know all of the time. And so they have to experiment with different medications and it can be really messy and really difficult. So I was really lucky not to have to do that. Yeah, that's very true. It can take a long time for people to figure out what medications work for them. And we were able to watch our dad get to the point of his life where he did go and get medicated and how that helped him. And I think that that really helped us in our mental health journeys in knowing that it was okay to go and get help. When he got medicated, life changed and it just opened our eyes, even though we were really young, to what medication can do and how it can help us. Yeah. And not a lot of people get to see that. Yeah, I was fairly young when he finally did get medicated. He wasn't a bad dad because he was never a bad dad, but he just, like me, has a chemical imbalance and his emotions were different because his brain wasn't balanced. And it's the same for me when I don't take my medication. Let's say I don't take it this morning and I don't take it tomorrow. Tomorrow night, I'm going to start going back to that. I I notice if I miss my medications for one day or two days, I notice that I get very on edge and I get angry so easily. Right. And my head and my emotions are so unlevel that I can immediately tell. So can Jackson. Because I, he's usually the one that gets it. I try really hard not to miss my meds because the way that I feel when I'm taking my meds is a hundred times better than when I don't. Right. Yeah. And that's okay. And it's okay to depend on a medication if you need it. And if your relationships depend on it, like if I wasn't on my medication, my relationship would suffer immensely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's no shame in it at all because it makes you a better person. It's not a drug that takes away from your life. They're drugs that give to your life that help you to live a full life. For me, the only thing that helps to move people away from stigmas like that is sharing Mm -hmm. personal experiences. And that's something that I've become very well acquainted with in the last several years is sharing my experiences. I guess if I were to say one thing to people who think that way. It's that when I was 16 and after I came out to mom and dad, I was at this point in my life where I didn't want to live anymore Mm -hmm. because of my emotions being all over the place, because I couldn't control my anxiety, because I couldn't control my depression, because I couldn't control anything in my life. And once I finally realized, oh, I should just go to the doctor and get medicated, that's when my life changed. And that's literally that's the only thing that saved my life is going to the doctor and getting the pill. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people are so willing to ignore that, Mm -hmm. but it's such a big thing because I'm not the only person that has experienced that. There are so many people that experience that, that aren't willing to go to the doctor because of the stigma. Mm -hmm. And it's the thing that can save their life. Yeah. When I, was admitted to the psychiatric ward at the hospital. That's exactly how I felt. And it is a little bit more extreme because it's a hospital versus going to the doctor. But if I would have allowed myself to give into those stigmas around psychiatric wards and hospitals, mental hospitals, my life would have ended. That's literally what saved my life. And I didn't want to go there because of what people would think. And it's heartbreaking to think that that's what we're going to try and do is get people aware and help people to realize that it's okay and it's normal. I think that what you're talking about with the anxiety and depression 
is really, really normal. A lot of people suffer with that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that it's heartbreaking to see that it's so common and challenging the stigma and ending it and showing people that it's okay to get help. It's okay to tell your family that you're struggling. It's okay to go to the doctor. It's okay to go to the psychiatric ward because there's a psychiatric ward for a reason. There's mental health experts for a reason. There's family for a reason. And I think it's essential that we start treating them as essential. Right. When someone is diagnosed with cancer, they're expected to go to the hospital and get treatment. Why is it not the same with mental health? Right. But going back though, I was wondering if you would be willing to share a little bit about your struggles with anger. How do you deal with the anger that comes with anxiety and the anger that comes with depression? I've had a few people ask about that. And I just wanted to hear a little bit about your experiences with anger. Yes, that's also really difficult for me because before I got medicated, I was so young and I was irrationally angry pretty much 100% of the time. So I didn't ever discover ways to deal with it besides I, I learned how to walk away a lot and I learned how to take deep breaths. Mm-hmm. But I was so young and so inexperienced with dealing with the emotions that I didn't ever discover a way to cope with them. Mm-hmm. I did with other things, but anger, I think, was the one emotion that I was never able to control. Yeah. I think anger is a really difficult one to try and pin down and take charge of because it changes so much with the events and what's causing the anger. I'm not a very angry person, but there was some times during my divorce that I got really, really irrationally angry. And I think that being able to figure out your triggers like that, things that had to do with my ex-husband and certain situations with my divorce, those were my angry triggers. Figuring out what triggers you to make you angry like that and trying to not avoid because you can't avoid every confrontation that you come across, but figuring out how to level it out. For example, I had to say no contact with my ex-husband because I knew that every interaction I would get angry because that was my trigger. Right. In my case, I didn't have a trigger. I remember one specific time I was feeling just upset and I was walking through the living room and I I dropped my water bottle and I just got so pissed and I picked it up and threw it at the staircase. (laughs) Then I like looked at the water bottle and I was like, what the hell? Like, did I just do that? (laughs) That's the kind of anger that I experienced. But I think looking at it from an outsider's perspective, I think you're absolutely right. It's essential to determine your triggers, your anger triggers, your anxiety triggers, your depression triggers, whatever triggers. But right now we're talking about anger to pinpoint the triggers and then also set boundaries around them, like you were saying. And any therapist will tell you that pinpointing triggers and setting boundaries are going to be your top priority. So I think that that's probably the best way to deal with anger. If you are dealing with anger, like what's Stanley was describing the really irrational, seemingly no triggers. If you're dealing with that, then it's time for you to talk to a therapist and figure out if there's more issues going on mentally. 
because that's a huge indicator of other issues going on. That kind of anger is was linked to your anxiety and depression, Stan. Yeah. And now that that's under control, that's kind of faded away. So if you're experiencing what Stanley is talking about, talk to somebody, a professional. Yeah, if you are a normal person should feel, okay, I shouldn't say normal because everybody is normal, even with their anxiety and depression. Level, healthy brain shouldn't experience anger at such a high velocity or other emotions for that matter. Obviously, every person's different with different personalities, but if you're having irrational levels of emotions, that's definitely an indicator that you should seek some kind of help, advice, or guidance. Agreed. I think that's also why it's important to keep a journal. But let's get back to your personal experience. Is there anything else that you would like to add and you'd like to share about your experiences things that you've dealt with? I feel like I've experienced a lot for a 21-year-old person, (laughs) but I can't say that my experiences are any more important or influential than anybody else's. For me and my experience with anxiety and depression and mental health, an essential part of that was finding something higher to believe in. Because we were raised Mormon, it was easy for me to find God and to find that higher power to help me through the things that I was feeling. I don't know exactly where I'm going with this, but I feel like it's important to share that no matter what you believe in, whether it's God or rocks and spirituality in the rocks or whatever your spiritual beliefs are or your higher power is, I think that it's essential to realize that you and your health is directly tied to that. It's important to take those things and make them a rock in your life, make them a tether that you can always go back to when you're feeling a lot of anxiety or depression. You can always go back to that one constant that's always been there for you. From the time that I was 16 is really when I started remembering my life. Everything before that, it's all a blur. But everything after that, I started being intentional and I started working on myself from that point. That was the most influential thing besides becoming medicated was having that constant Having that spirituality or that higher power that I could go back to and that I could fight myself in without having to feel guilt or shame. I I just think that's really important to remember is that whatever higher power you believe in, that's going to be your tether. You can always go back to that if you need something that's solid. That's beautiful. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Okay, so what's next for you then? What is the next big thing in your life? What's next for me? Well, I'm living in Tucson. I'm living in Southern Arizona, which is really new for me. Obviously, I grew up in Hinksville, the tiniest little town. And now I'm in a town with millions of people in it. When I got here, there was nothing happening. COVID's really strict here so I leave the house to get groceries every once in a while but other than that I'm kind of just stuck at home. I've been doing real estate school. I've been having a ton of anxiety about that because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. (laughs) I was raised cooking in restaurants and now I'm gonna try to sell houses. So that's what's next for me is a new adventure. 
a new career for now, at least. But yeah, since I started doing this, I've experienced a lot of anxiety and a lot of depression and a lot of doubt. But I push through it and I wake up every day and I tell myself that I can do hard things and I am strong and I control my life and I'm going to do this. It's challenging, but also it's a chance for me to prove to myself that I control my destiny. I control my health. That's kind of what's driving me in this direction and pushing me through this experience is just proving to myself that I can do hard things. Well, I am very proud of you. I'm a very proud big sister. I think that you're going to be an amazing real estate agent. I know that you can do it and you're going going to be exceptional. So if you live in Arizona or anywhere, I guess, call Stan in a little while <laughs> and let yeah. him sell your house. Or sell your house, whatever you want to do. House, you know, move to Hanksville and let Stan sell your Arizona house. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks for talking to me, Stan. Thanks for being my first interviewee. I love you and I am so proud of you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you so much for having me as your first guest on your podcast. I'm so excited for you <laughs> and I love you so much. And my phone is going to die. So I'm like, I have 1%. So, okay, perfect. So, good thing we're done. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to my podcast and tuning in on this episode. If you have any questions for me, or for Stan, anything you'd like to add or ask us, just message me and we would love to help you out. Don't forget to review me on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Facebook and all the places that you listen to my podcast. I would really appreciate it. So I've got Carter here to help me say goodbye. Can you say bye, Carter? Bye. Thank you. Bye. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now.